Do me a favor and grab the chain. You should hear a little bit of rattling. Okay, put it in your left hand, put it in your right hand. doesn't really matter what hand it goes in. Okay, but feel it. Feel the temperature. Feel, feel how firm it is. Imagine for a second what it would feel like wrapped tightly around your ankles. What would it feel like wrapped around your wrists? What might it feel like around your neck? See, we come to a Good Friday service, most of us already knowing the story. And if you hadn't heard the story before tonight, you've heard it four different times. These are four different authors who have told the story, and all four tell the same thing. They tell of Jesus being arrested, put in chains, and taken before the Roman governor named Pilate. And as we saw in the stories, Pilate examined him. He cross-examined him. He examined him again, and every single time he came back saying, He didn't do it. He's not guilty. And yet, the lack of guilt did not lead to freedom. Jesus still had the chains on. Now, the charges that were brought against Jesus by the religious elite, by, as the the text says, by the entire religious council of the Jews, the, the charges were this. He was leading people astray, In a revolt, as it said in Luke's gospel, he was encouraging people not to pay taxes and he was claiming to be a king. You hear the charges? Having heard the four stories, do you see the irony in those charges? You see, what Jesus was being falsely accused of, what he was in chains for, was exactly what the guy standing next to him did. It was exactly what the guy standing next to him did. Let me introduce you to a guy named Barabbas. We don't know too much about him, at least from John's gospel. I don't know if you caught it, but in John's gospel, he isn't mentioned until the last verse in chapter 18. And we only see one verse. In verse 18, verse 40, it says this, The crowd cried out again, not this man, talking about Jesus, but Barabbas. Let Barabbas go. And the text says, Barabbas was a robber. He was a robber. The Greek word there for robber is leistes. It means a thief. It means someone who steals out in the open and who is willing to do so violently. This is a guy who, who's a bandit, a thief who plunders, pillages. He's an unscrupulous marauder. He's one who will exploit the vulnerable, and he won't hesitate to do so with violent force. Lastase. It's an interesting word. The, 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 the historian Josephus, not a Christian guy, okay? The historian Josephus used lastase to describe people who fought against the occupation of the Romans. Multiple times in his history, he used that word. Lastase is the exact same word used to describe the two other criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Now, people hear that, and they think, huh, those guys are robbers. Barabbas is a robber. Barabbas was accused of leading a rebellion. Those guys all must have been from the same gang, the same posse. This is a thug group that was willing to go out and do damage. All of them robbers. That's how John's gospel describes Barabbas. Now, I also read one text that said it could, all, it could be translated as a terrorist. We know what those are in today's world. This is Barabbas. 
This is not a man you want to run into in a dark alley. Not a man you want to run into in the broad daylight. It's not a man you want to run into with all of your strongest, toughest, biggest friends around you. Because this is a guy who will quite violently, quite maliciously, quite sadistically do damage to you. This is Barabbas. At least that's what we gather from the one word that John uses to describe him. Now, the other gospel writers go into a little bit more detail, talking about who he is and what he did. Matthew's gospel tells us Barabbas was a notorious sinner. Uh, Excuse me, notorious criminal, notorious prisoner. Both Mark and Luke's gospels tells us that this man participated in, led an insurrection against the Romans. He led a rebellion against them, and he committed murder while doing it. So let me tell you about Barabbas. He's a violent thief, he's a notorious criminal, he's a rebellious insurrectionist, and he's a murderer. Barabbas deserved to be in chains. He deserved it from the Roman government because he was trying to overthrow them. He deserved it from the Jews. The Jews had a law, a life for a life. Barabbas killed somebody, therefore his life was due for punishment. Barabbas deserved the chains. So all that being said, we have to ask ourselves, why in the world would the crowds that day ask for his release? Why would they say, give us Barabbas? I mean, could it be that the elders, as Mark's gospel, the religious leaders stirred the crowd up into this this chaotic, frenzied mob? Yeah, the text says that, so that's probably part of it. Could it be that Barabbas was another option? Matthew's gospel tells us that it was tradition for Pilate, the Roman governor, to release a prisoner during the time of the Passover feast. And Matthew's gospel tells us that he comes to the crowd and says, who would you like me to release, Jesus or Barabbas? Well, it's interesting because in Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel, Pilate doesn't initiate. The crowds come ready to say, we want that guy. They come ready to pick him. They initiate. They are ready to ask. It's not like, like Pilate pulled him into this back room and said, okay, here's your list of 10 criminals. Look at them through the glass. Which one do you want? Hmm. No, they came ready to say, we want Barabbas. Why? I mean, we have to ask that question. We've heard what kind of man he is. He's a violent thief, a murderer, a leader of a rebellion, and a notorious prisoner. Notorious. Interesting word. It's used twice in the Greek New Testament. Once here, and once at the end of Romans. The end of Romans, it means well-known. It's actually how it could be translated here as well. So let's shift that a little bit from notorious being bad and scary to he's a well-known criminal. So think about it. A well-known criminal. And and add, add this to the mix, okay? The crowds that are there chanting for Barabbas, this is going to be different than we were taught growing up. I don't think they were the same crowds that actually marched in with Jesus a few days earlier waving palm branches yelling Hosanna. I think they were different crowds. 
I think that because the crowds that came in on Palm Sunday, they were, they were, they were ones who were pilgrimaging. They were coming to Jerusalem that, that annual time or that once every 10 years. Those crowds on that morning are going to be in the temple worshiping. I think the crowds that are in front of Pilate that day yelling for Barabbas are the local Jews. They're the ones who live in Jerusalem. They're the ones who work there. They're the ones who day in and day out are under the, the thumb of the Roman oppressors. And my guess is that every day they got up in the morning and they prayed that God would send the promised Messiah. Father, would you send the deliverer that our scriptures tell us you will bring? And would you send him quickly? And my guess is that while they prayed that, they had the mental picture of somebody who was going to come in and overthrow the government. They had the mental picture of somebody who was going to come in and defeat the enemy. They had the mental picture of someone who would kill anyone who got in their way to throw the Romans out of power. If those local Jews knew anything at all about Jesus, they may have heard that he was from Galilee. And I tell you what, those Jerusalem Jews wouldn't want somebody from Galilee being their king. If they knew anything about Jesus, perhaps they had heard that that rabbi, he teaches love. He teaches peace. He teaches you to love your enemies. They would not have wanted a king who says, love your Roman oppressors. They wanted a man who would incite a rebellion, who would lead an insurrection, who would kill to get the Romans out of power. When they prayed for their deliverer, they prayed for somebody like Barabbas. You're starting to see why they called for him, why they came to pick him, a well-known, notable criminal, kind of in the same vein, the the same mold as Robin Hood. That's why they said, release him. That's who we want. Now, before we start getting all too warm and fuzzy, before we start cheering for Barabbas too, let's be reminded who he is. He's a violent, malicious thief. He's a leader of a rebellion. He's a murderer. I would think that if we were here and if Barabbas was there, our fingers would be like, uh, uh, God, if you're going to condemn somebody, if you're, if you're going to punish somebody, let me warn you, though, because if we really want to know who Barabbas is, let me tell you. Barabbas is me. Barabbas is you. I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. Put the pieces together, okay? Now you may be thinking, come on, Pastor James, I'm not a robber. I'm not a thief. The very first time you took the dessert from your brother's plate and he wasn't watching... That time you took that pack of gum from 7-Eleven because they weren't going to miss it. That time you stole a second or third glance at your neighbor's spouse. You became a thief. You deserve the chains. I deserve the chains. Now you may be thinking, okay, we'll, we'll give you that. We'll give you that, James. I'm not a rebellion. I'm, I'm, I'm not a leader of a rebellion. I'm not an insurrectionist. Right? You ever done something against God's will? You ever not done something that God told you to do? 
The minute you did that, you became a leader of a rebellion. And I tell you what, your, your rebellion may have only been an army of one, but every single time you rebel, somebody sees you. It might be your kids. It might be your spouse. It might be your coworker. It might be the people that sit in the chairs next to you on a Sunday morning. And I tell you what, when they see you who claim to be a follower of Christ doing something that God said not to do, rebelling against God, all of a sudden they think, I can do that too. Look at that. Your army of one became an army of two. And it's going to grow really, really quick. We have rebelled against the king. We have rebelled against our ruling party. We deserve the chains. Fair enough, right? Thief? Rebel? Murderer? Is that taking things a little bit too far? Have we taken a life? Jesus pushed the limits in the Sermon on the Mount. He said in Matthew 5, You have heard your ancestors say, Do not commit murder, because if you commit murder, you will be guilty of judgment. And then he said, But I say. you got to watch it when he says that. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. You and I are guilty of this. At least I am this past week. We are just like Barabbas. We deserve the chance. But we didn't get them, did we? It's not how the story ended, is it? The crowds clamored for Barabbas' chains to be removed. They yelled for the murderer to be released. Pilate listened. So the innocent Jesus headed for the cross and death, and the guilty Barabbas headed towards freedom. Barabbas deserved the chains. Barabbas deserved death. We deserve the chains. We deserve death. But that's not what happens, is it? At least that's not what has to happen. Because hours before Jesus was arrested and put into chains, he was having dinner with his disciples. The Passover dinner, we call it his last supper. And he took bread in the middle of it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Eat this and remember, and I'd say, remember what is going to take place. He took wine. He said, this, this is my blood. It symbolizes forgiveness of sin. Take it and remember what will take place. So what took place? Well, a betrayal, chains, an arrest, a trial, a cross, death. What took place was that Jesus was in chains while the prisoner was set free. Not just Barabbas, but us. Free from eternal judgment. Free from the wrath of God. Free from the penalty of our own sins. Free from our deserved death. Jesus took the chains. He took the cross so that we wouldn't have to. And he did it because he loves us. You're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. But Jesus has set us free. Jesus has worn our chains. Tonight we're going to conclude slightly different than we, okay, very different than we normally do. 
We're going to watch a video monologue of a pastor out of Seattle named Judah Smith. He's going to talk about Barabbas. He's going to give us another angle, some, some words. You'll be able to read it up on the screen. Words that describe him in, in ways that maybe hit home even more. It's an eight and a half minute video. Watch it. And then after that, here's what I'd like you to do. Pray. Search your heart and ask yourself, is there things that are still binding you? Are there chains you're not letting Jesus wear? Is there sin? Is there vices? Are there hesitations that are keeping you from fully following Jesus? What is keeping you locked up? Ask yourself that question. Ask God that question. And then when you have an answer, I invite you to come, bring your chain, and leave it at the cross. Take communion. Remember that Christ wore your chains and set you free. And then I want you to leave. I want you to go home. No benediction, no final song, no prayer, no fanfare. I just want you to leave. If you have kids, go and get them. If you want to talk to somebody, I just threw that in there just in case. Okay. Thank the child care workers, too, for, for me while you're up there. If you want to talk to somebody, talk to them outside. Because if you talk in the foyer, that sound carries in here pretty quick. And I want to give space for people who want to stay in here longer and pray. I want them to be able to have that space. You see, on the evening that Jesus was arrested and on the morning that he stayed in chains while Barabbas went free, I've got to think that there was a lot of people who stood there in stunned silence. And I want us to echo that silence tonight. In fact, Tim, I had asked you to strum. Don't strum, okay? We're going just straight up silence. You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. But Christ has worn our chains for us, and we can be free. Watch the video. Pray. Leave your chains at the cross. If you want to take one home, there's more out there on the table, okay? Take communion and then leave. Those that want to stick around and pray in quiet, stick around and pray for as long as you want. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment... Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner. A man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. 
He leads a, a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. They give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the heavenly Father. controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it! No, you won't! You're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and 
Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they start to take my chains off and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me, say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No. God, I I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. What if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh, God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed. Or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high? so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive. Let me have your sin, son. Okay. When I give him my sin, I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go, son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off thinking that we were going to set ourselves free? It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, his blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is a 